0: about a man who was hated without a cause. If all we had was the Old Testament, we might wonder who the psalmist is talking about. But because we have the New Testament, we understand that the reference here is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, there was nothing in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ that should have caused anyone to hate him. But because man is a fallen sinner, he hated him without a cause. Due to the length of the sermon, we will not have a song today, but join us as we look at this man who was hated without a cause, and we see what he did for those that he loved from before the foundation of the world. Turn, if you will, to the 69th Psalm. I want to begin reading here in the very first few verses of this Psalm and maybe take some thoughts from there If the Lord will bless us tonight. Psalm 69 and verse 1. Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. I wonder what this man who's writing this has done wickedly that's caused him to be in this place of great torment and deep mire and deep waters and to where he's cried so much that his throat's dry. Surely he must have done something really wicked to get into this position. Surely there's some cause for this. We read about it, there's David, actually, that wrote the psalm. and David was a man after God's own heart, but David had some problems in his life. He had some wickedness. He did some wicked deeds. He must really have done something bad to get to the point to where he's weary of his crying and his eyes fail him while he's waiting on God. But let's keep reading before we go too much further down that way of thinking. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They that would destroy me being mine enemies wrongfully are mighty. And then I restored that which I took not away. Now, wait a minute here. This is a man that... We see Him in the deep mire. The waters are coming unto His soul. He is coming to deep waters where floods are overflowing Him. Most people look at that and they say, this is a man that's done something really bad. You remember what they accused Job of? They came to Job and said, Job, you've got some sin in your life. Who, who is this man that it says of him that they hate him without a cause? David's just a man. David's just like me and you. You know, I have people that hate me. I mentioned that this morning in the message. You have enemies. You have people that hate you. But I can tell you, even though I think I'm justified in every situation that I can think of where I've got an enemy, if I really dig deep enough, I probably didn't handle that situation just Mm -hmm. right. I probably messed up a little bit. I might could have done it differently. Maybe I wasn't clear. Maybe I didn't say it in the right way. Maybe I maybe spouted off in anger and caused somebody to be my enemy. But here we see a man that's hated without a cause. Who could this be talking about? Well, thankfully, we don't have to wonder about that because... If you turn with me over to John, the fifteenth chapter, we read the words of Jesus as He is telling His disciples there about how He's been persecuted and how they're going to persecute you too, and how that uh, they don't know the one that sent Him and 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 how they hate Him, and ultimately in verse. Uh, 24 or verse 25 he said but this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law they hated me without a cause here we have the answer of who this man is that's being talked about. I understand that when David writes the Psalms or whoever writes the Psalms, that they're talking about a specific situation that applies to them. Uh, there's a direct application of it. But you'll notice that we see many times in the scriptures in the New Testament, they'll go back, Jesus will go back, Paul will go back, Peter will go back, and they'll quote something that was written in the Psalms and we find out that it wasn't just about David. That's right. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? David cried that out. But, you know, some people say that Jesus was quoting David on the cross, but I I believe, beloved, that David was quoting Jesus in prospect and in prophecy, you see. You see, the man that he's talking about here that sunk in the deep mire and the waters come in unto his soul is the Lord Jesus Christ who was hated without a cause. I want us to talk about that tonight, the Lord being our helper, about how they hated him without a cause. I want you to notice the focus of their hate. They hated him, not something he'd done. Because right. there's never been a man like the Lord Jesus Christ Amen. who never did anything wrong. Like I said earlier, there's people that hate me today, and I'm sure you can talk about people in your life that hate you or that you're enemies. And, and you may have been mostly right, but, but I can guarantee you one thing, you've never been as right as the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ never did anything wrong. In Mark chapter seven and verse 37, it said of him, he hath done all things well. It said, he maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. There's nothing bad about that, is there? Amen. That's good things. <laughs> That's good things. And he didn't just do a few things well. He did all things well. You know, Paul, or Peter rather, preaching over in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, he said he went about doing good and healing those that were oppressed of the devil. See, there's not a justifiable reason to hate him. They didn't, nothing he did caused them to hate him. You see, you won't read in the scriptures that he beat his wife. You, you won't read in the scriptures that he beat somebody out of their property. You won't read in the scriptures that he told lies on people. He never beat anybody up. He didn't run around with somebody's wife. And yet people hated That's right. him. See, they hated who he was. Not what he'd been doing. He'd been going around doing good. <laughs> That's what it said. Look over with me in John chapter 10 just for a minute. In John chapter 10 and verse 31, it says the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Well, what's he done now to make them want to stone him? Well, Jesus asked the questions. He said, many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which one of those works do you stone me? He hadn't done any of those works that I named. He hadn't broken the commandments. He hadn't anybody? He hadn't even hurt anybody's feelings unjustifiably. The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we, we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus said, Which one of these good works do you want to stone me for? They said, We're not stoning you because of something you've done. We want to stone you because of who you say you are. But you remember what I said earlier that Christ never falsified. He never made false statements. He never lied. He really is God. Yes. <laughs> We're told that God cannot lie. He really is God. You know, over in Luke, the 19th chapter, he tells him a parable or a story. I'm not sure if it's a parable or not, but uh, in Luke chapter 19, in verse 12, He said, we read, He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Do you see anything bad this nobleman has done so far that would justify people hating him? That would justify people wanting to kill him, he's doing good. He's going into a far country to receive a kingdom, but he's leaving the people that he's been working with there and been ruling over there, he's leaving them some money, he's leaving them the resources they need, not just to dwell in the land and to get rich on what they're doing, but to occupy, which means more than just stay there. He said, you occupy this country, you take care of this place. I don't see anything yet that would lead them to hate him. And Yet in verse 14 it says, But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. Brethren, have we discovered one cause yet for them to hate the Lord Jesus Christ? He hadn't done anything wrong. He hadn't said anything wrong. He hadn't dealt with any situation in a bad way. And yet, they hated him. Let's look at the force of their hate. Let's look at how bad they hate him. They hated him enough to want to discredit him. They wanted to run him down. Back over in John chapter 8 in verse... 41 listen to what he says here Jesus is, is getting on to them he's telling them if you were Abraham's children you would do the works of Abraham but you're trying to kill me and I've you know this is not something that Abraham did and, they, and then he said to them you do the deeds of your father and he's speaking the truth now remember he's right. telling them exactly like it is because he's God and God can't lie But then notice what they did. Then they said to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. Now, let's back up for a minute and remind ourselves of how Jesus got here in the flesh. He was born of a virgin who had never been with a man, he was basically born of a young lady who in all for all circumstances that might appear had gotten pregnant outside of marriage. And the story, the, the tale that the Jews told was that it was a Roman soldier stationed in that area who had an affair with Mary. She committed fornication with Mary, and that's how he was born. That's how he was conceived. And Joseph just kind of came in and covered it up by being the stepfather. That's the implication they're giving him here. That's what they're saying here. When they say, we be not born of fornication, the idea is, but we know you are. (laughs) See, they're trying to discredit him they even accuse him in one place of being in league with the devil. Over in Matthew chapter 12, when, it, when, when this, this one that was possessed of the devil came before those Pharisees and the people were amazed. And they said, you know, he had, he had been healed by Jesus. And the people cried out, is this not the son of David? But you know what the Pharisees said when they heard it? They said, this fellow cast out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. They accused him of being in league with the devil, of being a devil worshiper. They accused him of being born of fornication, of being in league with the devil. And then over in John chapter 10 and verse 20, uh, many of them said, He hath a devil and is mad. (laughs) He's crazy. That's what they're saying. He's crazy. He's born of fornication. He's in league with the devil and he's just crazy. He's mad. You know... There's another place where a man who was blind was healed by Jesus. In John chapter 9, we'll just turn there for a second. John chapter 9, in verse 24, when this man came back before them, it says, They called the man, then called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man, speaking of Jesus, is a sinner. You know what they're doing there? They're claiming to have some secret knowledge. you ever talk to somebody about somebody else? Say, hey, do you know brother so-and-so? And they'll look at you and say, hey, yeah, I know him. Just trust me. You don't want to have anything to do with him. Now, now sometimes that is wise advice. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I mean, it, it can be certainly... Uh, Situations where we should advise people to stay away from other people that you might get in trouble. You might tell your children, don't go down there to this place with these people, you can get in trouble. But here, this is not the case. Here's what's happening is they're claiming to have some secret knowledge and to just discredit him. They hate him so much that they want to discredit him. But have you read yet about any sin the Lord has committed? And yet they call him a sinner. (laughs) They hated him enough, not only to want to discredit him, but to want him to die. We're told in John 1, 11, that when he came unto his own and his own received him not, his own people received him not. But it's even worse than that. If you go over to John chapter 7 and the very first verse sometime, it says that after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him Now, there's people that I confess to you that I don't think a lot of there might have been a time in my life where I really didn't like some people I try to not take that approach anymore although I'm in the flesh like you are and sometimes it's easy to you know easy to slide over into that anger and hatred that the flesh will lead into but I've never hated anybody enough to want to kill him. I've never just looked at somebody and said, I want to take my gun and shoot him. And I know there are people that feel that way about some people. I've had to deal with some of them in my secular job, but uh, but these Jews hated him so much that they wanted to kill him. Back over in Luke chapter 4, you can turn and read it sometime when he preaches that message and he says that there were many widows in Sarepta. Let's just turn over there and read it in in Luke chapter 4 and verse 24. Jesus is preaching his first recorded message here in, in Luke, in this chapter of Luke. And he says, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias when the heaven was shut up three years and six months when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon unto a woman that was a widow. Now what's he preaching here? What he's preaching here is the sovereignty of God in salvation and deliverance. It's the sovereignty of God. He said there were many widows in Israel. God didn't go to the Israeli widows. He went to a, a widow over there in the city of Sidon. Mm-hmm. Some old reprobate city over there. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed saving Naaman the Syrian. There he is preaching that old sovereignty of God again. <laughs> yeah. He didn't cleanse those lepers over there in Israel. He went to Syrian and mm-hmm. cleansed him. And you know, We who believe in the sovereign grace of God rejoice in that message. But I can say to you, beloved, if the Lord hadn't tendered your heart, your response to that message would be just the same as theirs right here in verse 28. All they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. They didn't say, let's push him off feet first. He might survive that. Let's make sure we turn him upside down and cast him down. Well, he will die when he hits the ground. Of course, we know that the Lord delivered him. He passed right through him and went on his way because it wasn't his time. They hated him enough to want to kill him. You know, beloved, they hated him enough not just to want to kill him but to want to bend the law to do it. I mentioned that this morning too. In Mark chapter 14 and verse 1, their hatred of the Lord has culminated to the point that they're not worried anymore about doing things above board. Over in Mark chapter 14 and verse 1, they say this, After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. If we have to take him by hook or by crook, we're going to get him. If we have to bend the law to do it, we're going to do it. It does not matter. We hate him so much, we don't even care if it's legal anymore. We're going to take him out and we're going to kill him. And They hated him enough not just to want to kill him, but to want him to suffer in his death. Since we're in the book of Mark, just turn a page over there to chapter 15. In Mark chapter 15, in verse 12, where Pilate is here presenting Barabbas and Jesus as a choice for these Jews as to whether they want him to release Barabbas or Jesus. Pilate answered in verse 12 and said, After they, they clamored for Barabbas, they said, We want Barabbas to be released to us. And then in verse 12, Pilate answered and said again unto them, What will ye then that I shall do unto him whom you call the king of the Jews? They didn't say put him in prison. They didn't say let's exile him to Rome. They didn't say let's detain him for a while and then release him. Let's beat him and let him go and tell him not to do it anymore. They cried out again, crucify him. And crucifixion, beloved, is the most torturous form of execution known to man at that time and indeed probably for all time. You know, it's such an, (laughs) I started to say the word. It's such a horrible death, they had to make up a word to describe it. Excruciating Mm -hmm. is a word that means like a crucifixion. An excruciating death, they didn't want him to be Uh, uh, beaten. They didn't want him to be detained. They wanted him to die the most painful death. They would rather have a notable prisoner named Barabbas released unto them and for Jesus to be crucified. Luke chapter 23 verse 33 it all culminated all this hatred culminated right here says when they were come to the place which is called Calvary one of the other places called Golgotha, the place of the skull. There they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. They didn't even give him the dignity of an individualized death. They didn't say, well, we've got these malefactors here, but he's not really in that category. We're going to treat him a little differently and put him off to the side. They put him right in the middle of the transgressors all the hatred all the bloodlust that they had consummated right here on Calvary as this just holy righteous harmless separate from sinners man who had gone about doing good his whole life was crucified between two thieves mm-hmm. Is there some scripture somewhere that would help us understand why they hated Him so bad? If you'll turn with me back over to the third chapter of Genesis, we're going to find a scripture that answers all of our questions about this situation and why they hated Him without a cause. You know know the story of Genesis 3. Eve is deceived by the serpent who is the embodiment of Satan himself and she eats of the fruit and gives to her husband Adam to eat of the fruit and and through Adam the whole human race falls into sin and we're told that in Adam all die and and that this is the this is the very time the very day of this great fall from the innocence that they had into the sin that we still experience today but on that very day the lord himself says to the serpent a statement that explains all that we are talking about here tonight it explains why they hated him without a call In verse 15, God says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Beloved, the battle lines are drawn right here. This is the scripture that explains as well or better of all the scriptures of why they hated him without a cause. Satan and the Lord Jesus Christ and Satan's people and the Lord's people are enemies from here out. There's no more uh, quarter given in that fight. There's There's no more reconciliation between the two. This explains all the hatred. This explains all the things that they did to Him. This explains why they were so intent on Him suffering and so intent on putting Him to death. Let me ask you one more question. Do you think all this took the Lord by surprise? <laughs> In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, He began to teach them, we're told, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. We talked about a little bit this morning how that all the disciples forsook Him and fled. They wouldn't have done that if they had just believed what He said. You know, they thought He was finished. We talked about that this morning. When He cried out, "It is finished, they thought, well, He's done for. That's what most people think he meant when he said it's finished, that he's done for. He's, he can't go any further. He's come up against something that he can't deal with. He's just, and that's what we would say if, you know, old Chris came up against something like that they say, boy, he's done for. He's finished. But When the Lord Jesus Christ said it is finished, he meant something totally different. Yes. You see, the whole purpose of him coming into this world was fulfilled right there that day on calvary there's a scene over in acts that we talked about this morning but i like to go back to it every once in a while acts chapter 4 verse 26 describes a scene that we've been talking about here beloved about how these People hated him without a cause and orchestrated all of these wicked uh, things against him to raise him up on this cross on that day. And it's described by the Apostle Peter right here in his preaching there in the book of Acts chapter 4 and verse 26. He says, The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. That's an illustrious group of people to get up to, to rise up against you. It would be the same idea as if we walked out of the doors tonight and we saw one of the divisions of the American Army surrounding us. And there behind them would be the National Guard from Alabama surrounding us. And maybe back behind them would be the Gordo Police Department or the Pickens County Sheriff's Department all gathered against us. And you might even look down there and see the President of the United States himself standing off in the distance gathered together against us. And they're all there because of their hatred of Jesus for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus whom thou hast anointed both Herod who represented uh, the, the secular authority of the Jews in that day and Pontius Pilate who represented the secular authority of the Roman Gentiles in that day with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. They were gathered together for a common purpose because they hated him. He had done nothing wrong. He had always gone about doing good and they hated him so much that they allied together. I said that this morning. Herod and Pilate didn't even like each other but they became friends after this. They allied together against him. Their purpose was to kill him and gain the ultimate victory. Did things get out of control that day? did the Lord finally run into something He couldn't handle? No. 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 You see, verse 28 tells us the secret. Even though they were there gathered together to kill Him because they hated Him without a cause, they hated everything He was, everything He was about, they were gathered together for the purpose of destroying Him. But in truth... They were gathered together there for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Little did they know, everything went according to God's plan. (laughs) Now that's not absolutism. That's God being almighty and omniscient and suffering men to do what their wicked hearts we're wanting them to do and we're prompting them to do in the first place. God suffered man to do what his sinful heart was leading him to do. And you know what that did? That ultimately led to the greatest victory that there's ever been. That kind of puts a new light on this verses that we started out with in Psalm 69, doesn't it? Save me, O God, for the waters are coming into my soul. We thought that was a man that had done something wicked. We thought that was a man that deserved what he got. But now we see that it's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross and the waters of this wickedness had come in under his soul. The waters of the wickedness of sin had been laid upon his shoulders. He had become sin for us. I sink in deep mire. There's no deeper mire than the deep mire of sin where there is no standing. I'm coming to the deep waters where the floods overflow me. I'm weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. Back over in Psalm chapter 22, which carries a first person account of the crucifixion. He starts out with this phrase, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the word of my roaring and he goes on to talk about all the things that he suffered the humiliation, the mocking he talked about the pain and all the suffering there but the worst part of the whole thing was the separation that he experienced from God why hast thou forsaken me now look at verse (laughs) 4 they that hate me without a cause you know if they had a cause to hate him we wouldn't have benefited at all from this We wouldn't have any hope if they had a cause to hate Him. But you know, there was a thief hanging on that cross that he looked over and he was mocking Him. He was cursing Him. He was casting the same in His teeth. But the Lord got a hold of him. The Lord pricked His heart in in regeneration. And then He looked upon the man He said, this man had done nothing amiss. Beloved, that's how we should see the Lord Jesus Christ. As we see the vision of Him hanging on the cross, He's hanging there they are hating Him without a cause. He has done nothing amiss. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They that would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully, are mighty. They are mighty. We just read about them. The mightiness of all of the principalities and the powers and the spiritual wickedness in high places was gathered against Christ on that day there on Golgotha's hill and it was ready it was make no mistake it was, it was full of wrath and it was a heavy wrath And they were mighty look at that last little phrase <laughs> it's so sweet when we see what this is talking about here brings me to tears when I see it you know the way the world looks at it the next phrase should say Then they got me, and I was done for. That's not what happened on Calvary. Then, even though these enemies hate me without a cause, even though they're innumerable to count, even though they're mine enemies wrongfully and they are mighty, then I restored that which I took not away. Some people try to blame God for sin. Some people try to believe He's... Some people believe that He's causing sin, He's predestinated sin. Even those that don't believe in predestination believe that He's out there working all this tragedy and all this... Let me tell you, beloved, there's one man you can blame for that. Jesus didn't take it away. Adam took it away. He took it not away, beloved. He didn't take away the innocence. He didn't take away the fellowship. He didn't take away the sweet, uh, uh, the sweet times in the Garden of Eden when Adam and 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 God were able to meet face to face and talk. He didn't take that away. Adam took it away, but praise God, Jesus restored that which He took not away. Amen. He didn't deserve it. He didn't have to do it from the standpoint of we deserved it but praise God he purposed to do it and he restored that which he took not away you see that's the true story of this man who they hated without a cause and beloved I want to say to you by nature we're in the same crowd as all the rest yep. Yep. by nature we hate him by nature we have nothing for him by nature Without the Lord having tendered our hearts, if you and I had been there that day, we would have been clenching our fists just like the rest of them, shaking our fists at Him and mocking Him. Because we were His enemies, but beloved, He became our friend. He is indeed the friend of sinners. And He proved it on the cross by going there when He didn't deserve it and restoring that sweet fellowship with God, that perfect standing with God that He took not away, but He restored it nonetheless by suffering these wicked men to do what they did. If you're able to see this salvation, it's because He has enlightened your eyes. And if you love Him, it's because He first loved you. This man that we by nature hated without a cause.